Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father, we are indeed overflowing in our gratefulness for Jesus Christ. And especially in this season of Christmas, Lord, we are thankful that you sent your Son, the Word made flesh. You came to earth in the person of your Son to be our Redeemer. You came in the person of your Son to seek and to save the lost. And so all of us who are your children, especially, count ourselves in that category of those whom you came to seek and to save. And we are forever grateful. We pray now that you would open our eyes to see with greater clarity the magnitude and significance of the coming of Jesus Christ and what he means to us. And that we would respond in rejoicing and gratefulness as we now open your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is the second Sunday of our Christmas series. If you weren't here last week, we are basing our series around the biblical truths that led a person or maybe a group of people to write one of our beloved Christmas carols, the one called, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And we sang that song this morning, and of course the words of that title are the first words of the first verse, Emmanuel, which comes from Isaiah chapter 7, and it means God with us. Actually, when the angel appeared to Joseph, he translated the words for Joseph. Name him, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us in Matthew chapter 1. So the first verse is a desire for God to come to us. Desire for God to come. That itself is an amazing prospect that the Creator would come down to dwell among His creation. In the Old Testament, God Himself made it pretty clear that no one could see God and live. Saying that this morning, I want to see you. Sometimes we need to sing that with great trepidation, and it's only because of Christ that we can now see God. We see him through his word, we see him through his spirit, and we see him, greatest of all, through his son. But in the Old Testament, no one could see God and live. God is so holy and glorious that anything or anyone would, would disintegrate in his presence. Isaiah gives the sense of that in that same song that we sang this morning. We sang, holy, holy, holy. That's from Isaiah's vision. And he gives the sense of that when he saw this vision of God's holiness there in Isaiah chapter 6. And he recounts that experience by literally saying that he came undone. That's the way the King James Version translates that. He disintegrated. He saw right away very clearly that he could not be in God's presence. When he saw God's holiness, his unholiness became very clear and very obvious. He said, I am a man of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then there was Moses. He too wanted to see God. Remember, he said, let me see your glory. And so God was gracious and Yet he just passed by his backside such that Moses could catch just a glimpse of God's glory. That was enough. Why? 
did he go by the back so that Moses would not disintegrate on the spot? But that just highlights the graciousness of God in providing a way for God to come to humankind. This was no small act. And his ultimate means of doing that was to send someone who was truly God and truly man, namely the Son of God and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Jesus was and is God with us. The longing of O come, O come, Emmanuel, come, O come, God with us, was answered at Christmas. And we saw last week that God answered the particular straining cry of verse 1 to ransom captives. Jesus would indeed come to rescue people who were enslaved, who were held captive to sin. Jesus came right out and said that in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of God has anointed me. Why? To proclaim, among other things, liberty to the captives. And that's exactly what he did by dying on the cross where the blood of Jesus became the ransom price that he willingly paid for our sins. And so our response in verse 1 of our song, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. God has come to us in Jesus. Well, we want to move on to the next verse of that song. The next verse goes like this. We actually sang this next verse that I'm talking about today as the third verse, and we'll go back to the second verse that we sang today next week. So the verse of the song that I want to talk about today was, O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory or the grave. Even as I read the lyrics of that song, and you think of this what is sort of a melancholy and, and mournful melody, the, the longing, the straining that's in there is right there in the way those words even get stretched out, isn't it? We sometimes have a hard time singing it to see where the word is supposed to end and where the next word starts and where we're supposed to stretch it out to. But this one says, it talks about Jesse free. You know, Jesse just doesn't get out there right away. Thine own from Satan's tyranny, right? From depths of hell, thy people save. Stretches that one out to in victory or the grave. Sort of just stretches out, it's reaching out as if each word is grasping and reaching for, in this case, freedom and for salvation. Well, what does this verse have in mind here? What is this song longing and hoping and expecting that this coming one, this Emmanuel, would fix? What would he free people from? What would he save people from? As we saw last week, every verse of that song, and I mentioned last week that the original song had seven verses, uses an Old Testament name for the hoped-for Messiah. So we already saw Emmanuel, which came from Isaiah 7. This time, it's the rod of Jesse. The rod of Jesse. And that comes right out of the passage that Pastor Andrew read for us in Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. In the old King James Version, which uh, the, the man who found this hymn and 
and translated this hymn from Latin to, to English, a man by the name of John Mason Neal. In the old King James Version, which he would have used, it reads, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. So Neil put all of that together and he came up with, O come, thou rod of Jesse. What is this rod? What is this shoot of Jesse? Well, the man called Jesse is famous in the Bible for only one reason. And that is that he's the father of David. He's the father of David. David, the man after God's own heart. David, the shepherd boy. David, the king. But the Messiah is called the rod of Jesse because Jesus is born into that same line. And Jesus symbolically foreshadows and actually exceeds David in some of those very same categories. He's not just the shepherd boy, but he is the good shepherd. He is the the king of all kings. And he's not only a man after God's own heart, he is the Son of God. He is God. So when Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot, a rod from the stump of Jesse, he is talking about this Jesus. By the time of Isaiah, David has already come and gone. And so this is looking forward to someone else in that line, someone else in that ancestry. The other thing to note from those words in Isaiah 11 verse 1 is that he says that this shoot is coming from the stump of Jesse. It's coming from the stump of Jesse. I cut down a big tree in our yard last year. It was in my eyes, a dead tree. Needles were all brown. But there's still a stump in that spot. That was two years ago. But I noticed this summer that around that stump, some shoots are starting to appear again. Well, that's what's going on here. What appears to be dead still has some life. The kingdom of Israel in the time of Isaiah, as Pastor Andrew mentioned, appeared to be dead. It was in shambles because of corruption and because of idolatry and a bunch of other stuff. But Isaiah comes and says, there's still life there. There's still life there. Not only life, but in The future, that life is going to flourish. That stump is going to produce a shoot, and the roots from that shoot will bear fruit. And then the rest of the verses there in Isaiah chapter 11 go on to describe the conditions that this future king, this rod of Jesse, would bring about, both in his first coming and in his second coming. Verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. That's where Jesus gets his words, or Jesus mentions those same words in Luke chapter 4. They're there from Isaiah 61, but they're here as well in in Isaiah 11. Then it talks about how he would bring righteousness and justice in verses 3 to 5. How his future kingdom would be marked by peace there in verses 6 to 9. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, and fattened calf all together. It's a signal of peace. And then, look down at verse 10. Not only did Pastor Andrew give me license to preach into this afternoon, 
But he also had a little oversight there, and he didn't read verse 10. He was reading that, and I'm going, but, but, but verse, verse 10. You forgot verse 10. It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. This rod of Jesse would now not only be the king for those in the line of David, but his kingdom would extend into all the world for all time. He would be our king. He would be our Lord. He would come to free us. And he would come to save us. Romans 15 verse 12 takes Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 exactly that way. Look at Romans 15 verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. In other words, he is our king and Lord. He will rule. That's what a king and Lord does. And he's our savior. In him alone we hope and trust. In him alone we rest our faith. Jesus is our resting place, going back to how Isaiah 11 verse 10 put it. So the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, O come, thou rod of Jesse, yearns and aches for this rod of Jesse. O come, thou rod of Jesse. This is an O of longing. So let's look at the rest of the verse and see what kind of picture it paints of this one in whom we hope. Just maybe mention this hymn is not inspired. This is not God's word. This is not the Bible. But this hymn expands on a number of Bible verses that we're going to look at. Why do we need him so? Why are we so glad that he came? And why do we yearn for him to come again? Well, Isaiah 11 verse 1 holds out the hope that this Messiah would somehow bring life from death. A stump will bring forth life and bear fruit. Life from death. Life from death. That really is at the heart of God's mission to redeem humankind. God is a God of life. Starting right at creation. In Genesis 1, on the fifth and sixth days in all of world history, in all of the earth's history, in all the history of the universe, on the fifth and sixth days, he starts to fill the earth. He created, on the first four days, with life. Living creatures in the water, then living creatures in the air, then on the ground, culminating with man. In an amazing verse, Genesis 2, verse 7 says, this picture this, that God breathed into his nostrils, into the nostrils of the man, the breath of life. God wants the earth to be filled with life. And just to make sure we understand that, he even puts a tree right in the center of garden called the tree of life. But he also puts another tree there. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree comes with a warning. 
They could eat of any tree in the whole garden except that one. His warning, if they disobeyed, was, you shall surely die. Death. A totally new concept. The opposite of life. And we know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Serpent came, Adam and Eve ate, and death entered the world. Yet God does not change. Death is now a reality, yes, but God purposes to bring life from death. From you shall surely die, God declares you shall surely live. The Apostle Paul put that like this. He says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6.23 Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But the reason that this is a song of longing is because of Romans 3.23. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We will all surely die. Physically, yes, but also spiritually. Unless, that is, we are somehow freed from the wages of sin and saved from death. And the rest of this verse from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel hits on those themes. Notice the three action words that spell out why we need the rod of Jesse. Free, save, and give. This is what we need. We desperately need someone to free us. We desperately need someone to save us. And we desperately need someone to give us life. Otherwise, we die. So let's go through those one at a time. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. So think back to Genesis. Who is it? that comes and tempts the man and woman in the garden. It's the serpent, the snake, the devil. The serpent tempts them by contradicting God precisely on that warning about death. God said, you shall surely die. The serpent says, you will surely not die. And tragically, they listened to the serpent. And ever since that happened, humankind is under Satan's tyranny. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 Peter 5.8 The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Revelation 12.9 calls Satan the deceiver of the whole world. So, without Christ, the world is under the control of the devil. Sort of leash kind of control that God permits for this time. Thanks be to God, he sent Jesus to get us out from under that tyranny. You see, Jesus, not long after he was baptized was also tempted by the devil. Only he did not listen. And now we can say, greater is he 
that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. And when it comes to 1 John 5, 19, we've got to go back to verse 18, which says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, that is Jesus, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And then, verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If you're born of God, it's a wonderful image, born again, that's the image of life. If you are born of God, you are protected from the power of the evil one by Jesus. Yet, we all know that Satan still tempts us. And we struggle with those temptations. Boy, do we ever struggle. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus taught us to beg. Jesus taught us to appeal to God and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Please, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer that God loves to hear and God loves to answer. But don't you long for the day when even those temptations will be gone? When there will be no evil to even choose from? When the tempter will not even be present? When nothing will ever be more appealing and more enticing than Jesus himself? We long for that day. Well, there's a great verse tucked into the end of Romans. Romans, this great doctrinal book, actually never once mentions Satan or the devil until chapter 16, verse 20. And there it simply says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That is what's going to happen. And it will happen soon. Satan was already decisively defeated on the cross when Jesus died and rose again, but soon the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. His tyranny will be over. He will no longer be roaming around seeking someone to devour because he will not long, no longer be around. But until then, until then, we long to be freed from his tyranny by looking to Jesus, by looking to his word. I saw these words the other day. They were written by someone named Dustin Benj. And they sort of aggregate all the ways that the Bible talks about Jesus in contrast to how the Bible talks about Satan. He writes this, Christ is Savior, Satan is murderer. Christ is holy, Satan is sinful. Christ is friend, Satan is enemy. Christ is authentic, Satan is counterfeit. Christ is truth, Satan is liar. And... Christ is life. Satan is death. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. While related to that, the next line says, From depths of hell thy people save. Not only does Jesus free us from Satan's tyranny, he saves us from the depths of hell. Jesus is not only our liberator from the grip of the enemy, he is our savior from the depths of hell. This 
this song verse really touches on two concepts that maybe we don't think enough about. Friends, we have to remind ourselves often that Satan is a real being and that hell is a real place. Jesus certainly believed it was a real place. He said things like, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body with both soul and body in hell. That was in Matthew 10, 28, or Matthew 18, verse 9. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Jesus thought of hell as a real place. Reminding ourselves of these truths has many different implications and and applications for us, doesn't it? First, it's good to be reminded that we would all be going there, would it not be for Jesus? We would all spend eternity there, justly and rightfully, were it not for Christ. Right? In his death and resurrection, he saved his people from the depths of hell. The truth of God's word is that everyone is going to have eternal life. Mark those words. Everyone is going to have eternal life. They'll either have eternal life in heaven or eternal life in hell. The Bible describes hell as a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like we'll be conscious, alive there. People will be alive there. Describes it as a place of torment. It describes it as a place where the worm does not die and the fire will not be quenched. Fellow Christian, are you thankful that Jesus rescued you from the depths of hell? That he snatched you out of the fires of hell? That he saves you? We can be so forever grateful, as we just saying, that God awakened our faith And that he opened our eyes such that we could see Jesus and that we could put our faith in his atoning death for our sins so that we could have eternal life in heaven and not eternal life in hell. And then the other implication of that truth is a sobering one, isn't it? If the Bible is true, if Jesus spoke only the truth, if hell truly is a real place, and if it's anything like what the Bible describes, and it is, that means that it will be populated by people, even people that we know. Reminding ourselves of this reality and and thinking about those images should spur us on to plead with people to look to Christ so that they too can be saved from the depths of hell. If you're here today and have not repented of your sins, you've not trusted in a holy and sinless Jesus as your Savior, friend, do that today. Do that today. We're all sinners. We... You're sitting amongst people who all deserve hell. But God sent Jesus and he has come to save you from the depths of hell. And so my simple plea to you is be saved. Be saved. And the good news is that you can still do that. There is still time to do that. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life.
Which brings us to the next line of that verse of, O come thou rod of Jesse. We, we need God to give us this gift. We need God to give us this gift. It says, O come thou rod of Jesse, give them victory or the grave. So here's the big takeaway again. Jesus came to give life. He came to bring life out of death. Ironically, by him dying. He is the shoot that came from the stump of Jesse. He is the branch that bears fruit. In John 10.10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. Or John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 to 22, this is a great verse, For as by a man came death, that's talking about Adam, for as by one man came death, By a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And that means, says later in the same chapter, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and 57. Emmanuel has come. The rod of Jesse has come. The Christ has come. And if you are in Christ, he has given you victory over the grave. And when Jesus comes again, he will raise all the dead in Christ from their graves If we've died before Christ comes again, he will raise all the dead in Christ from the graves and he will unite their body with their souls into a resurrection body where they will live with Jesus forever. That's why we still sing, come and give us victory or the grave. Beloved, Jesus has given us life. Christianity is all about life. We celebrate life. That's why we rejoice with the birth of new life like we have the last few weeks with with Emma and with Lucy May and with the yet unnamed little ones that are living inside wombs. That's why Christians hold up the right to life even as we live in a culture of death. We believe in life from conception to nursing home. We believe in life from womb to tomb. Why? Because we know that Christ, that God not only gives physical life, but he causes us to be born again. He raises us to walk in newness of life. We are dead to sins and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 verse 5 says, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in him, with him in a resurrection like his. Do you long for this resurrection life. If we just look at our lives, even though we have been wondrously saved from Satan's tyranny, even though we've been saved, freed from Satan's tyranny, saved from hell, depths of hell, and even though we've been given victory, the truth of the matter is that we still live in a hard, very hard world. We live in a culture that celebrates the death of God's image bearers 
as an individual right. Even personally, we have to bear with the death of loved ones. We live with the reality of death in our own uh, diseased and decaying bodies. And then we live with difficult circumstances. We live with unemployment. We live maybe with tough work environments. Students feel pressure from peers, pressures to perform. We have difficulties in family relationships with spouses, with, with wayward children, with, with parents that have abandoned their children. Does all of that leave you longing to be free, to be saved, to have victory? And on top of that, if you're anything like me, even all those outside circumstances pale in comparison to my own sin. Even all those outside circumstances pale in comparison to my own sin. I sin with my mouth. I sin with my, in my thoughts. I sin in my actions. And I cry with Paul in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? Who will free me? from this body of death. But Paul barely finished drawing that question mark at the end of that question when he writes the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. But the song doesn't end with that note of longing. Every verse of that song ends in praise. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Shall come to thee, O Israel. Shall come to thee, O church. Shall come to thee, O sinner made saint. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father God, we thank you so much for this reminder at Christmas that Jesus has come. He was anointed by the Spirit to proclaim liberty, to bring the gospel, to free captives. to free us from the grip of that the devil has in this world, to save us from the depths of hell, and to give us victory over the grave. Father, we are thankful during this time of the year, year for Christ. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that we can receive through him. Help us to rejoice, to worship, to be forever grateful for this great gift. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope.
And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.